0: Welcome everyone. Welcome to the Chris Ann Hall Show. This is JC here filling in for Chris Ann who is in Alabama right now at the annual uh, Bama Carry Conference. And so I'll be um, at the helm tonight and trying to make everything go. Hope to give you guys some some good stuff, some good information, some good education and uh, appreciate Appreciate the Gonzalez family checking in all the way from China. Yeah. <laughs> Glad to see you guys here. Hit the like button on your way in. Yes, it helps the robots um, allow us to be heard and seen. So off we go. I'm not gonna <clears throat> I'm not gonna be talking about impeachment and all things Trump and all that sort of stuff. Tonight except to say it doesn't look like um, it's really going to end so um, apparently I read a headline that pretty much they're looking at filing other stuff and just just keeping the thing going so you know and my first impression was like man Democrats are really working hard um, you know never to hold office again so pretty crazy, pretty crazy. Um, Uh, DOS. Yeah, we can answer that right off the bat. I think we touched on that the previous show about whether the document Pelosi ripped up was a actual legal document. So the law that they're referring to about her destroying, um, official government documents or whatever. Uh, the intent of the law is talking about, you know, when you basically make a record go away, kind of like Hillary Clinton and Obama, you know, when they disappeared emails and things like that. So that actually doesn't apply to what uh, what Pelosi did there. However, um, I think Matt Gates has filed an ethics complaint. Some of the other guys that filed complaints, not necessarily, I don't think specifically about destruction of government um, property, but. Uh, clearly, there are some ethics issues there. And as Chris ann was mentioned last show, these individuals, Senators and, and con- the senators who are, um, and congressmen, who are running for presidential office, them basically voting in the impeachment vote to eliminate their political opponent from the running without recusing themselves. Uh, these are clear ethics violations. And so somebody should also be filing, um, filing at the very least ethics complaints against those individuals. But no, technically, uh, when you talk when you're talking about the law, the statute that governs that, no, um, that document that she ripped up does not fit the um, the definition and qualifications for that suit. So no, she didn't break the law by doing that. that that's the short answer. Uh, but there there are other things. Yes, ethics ethics, not ethics problems, not necessarily criminal. Um, you know, so who knows? Although there may be some, uh, prosecutable issues there. I'm not sure. We'll wait for Chris to get back on that to specifically say that. But I remember her saying in the very least, this was an ethics violation. She should be censured. Um, you know, so these guys, and then when you think about it, if we go by the logic of Trump should have been impeached for interfering with an election, then that's exactly what these Democrats did as well. And a lot of it is just theater on both sides, Democrat or Republican. We understand a lot of it's just theater to distract you from things. And, you know, we know the history of the Republicans is the only reason that they're upset with things a lot of time is because they want to have the power that the Democrats are wielding uh when when the republicans are in power so much of its political theater at the end of the day once this once this stuff kind of passes by we know you know the things that were going on before haven't gone away this has really almost been a distraction we still got these the globalist cabal pulling the strings on so many of these guys uh, in the first place so you know nothing's changed in that sense as we said the last show, the the only the only caveat to that is the things that we've seen inside the administration where there is a legitimate attempt to um, you know dislodge some of the globalist influ- influence um, within the executive agencies. We've seen that happen. The appointee level, Senate level, those sorts of things. You know, you still look around and see all these globalists. So, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to put your finger on what's going on in there sometimes, but um, the Democrats are just going to keep, keep up their litigious activity against this president um, and, and try to, and try to take him out. And by the way, somebody asked, I think last show about Trump being a globalist or whatnot. And again, we tried to talk about what we've seen on the inside. So this is just my opinion. You can disagree or agree. It doesn't really matter. This is just my opinion, and I'm not saying I know 100%. I mean, the straight answer is I'm just not certain um, directly, but it is very strange to me. My opinion about Trump, he's just a pragmatic business guy. Obviously, he's not a conservative, not a constitutionalist, but when you have the right people directing him, then he can do good things. I don't necessarily believe he's a direct puppet of the globalists, or if he is, it's very strange uh, how all the globalists and their minions work to take this guy out. Now, does he walk lockstep with some globalist things from time to time? Yes, because he he's not an ideologue. He's not absolutely. He's not one hundred percent. In fact, he's not informed of the Constitution. It's all about who advises him. It's all about who's guiding, and in some areas of the administration, there are globalists still pulling the levers, then in other areas, um, liberty-minded people have infiltrated the system and they give him advice and they give him directions. Uh, so that's why you see Trump all over the map. So I think I think Trump is just kind of go with your gut, pragmatic guy, um, he's had ties with globalists, he's had ties with non-globalists. I think that's just the economic um, realm of his worldview. He's gonna do business and make a deal with whoever, whoever can get him the best deal. And sometimes those are people that are not, uh, you know, don't have the best interest of America in mind. So, but as far as being a directly controlled, getting his marcher, marching orders from the globalists, I don't think so. Yes, he's friends with the Clinton. He was friends with the Clintons. I don't know if he likes Hillary very much now, uh, but he's the kind of guy that likes everybody. And I think a lot of those relationships, again, were in a from a they're a business perspective from from trump's perspective it's about it's about business for him it's about making the best deal for himself so i'm not going to guilt by association the guy you know just because of these attachments um would i be friends with a lot of them would i hang out with a lot of them no but i don't think that's because his motivation is you know he 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 i'm a globalist i want to destroy america too no i don't think that's his motivation i think trump loves the country i think he is just uninformed about some of these things uh he's become more informed about uh some of it but but again yeah so he he walks into some globalist traps from time to time obviously the USMCA is not a good thing um so yeah those influences are still in there and that's that was really the point I was trying to make at the beginning the thing, the things that have been going on are still going on are uh, You know some of the efforts making a dent in this stuff yeah in some places and then some places not some places it's as bad as it ever was and some places it's worse so again that's why this show is is about principle it's not about party it's not about personality so you got to keep your eye on the principles you're going to get people that say one thing do another you're going to get people that are all over the map because you know they're just trying to do the best they can by their own reason and what they understand, but then they just don't have all the information. So you got to keep your eyes on the principle and not, not the people um, and not the personalities to, to dictate uh, how we, how we pay attention and what's going on here. So that's kind of my take on that and where this thing, everything surrounded Trump is uh, going on. And the one thing I will say, you know, Trump is a wrecking ball in 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 one sense to some of the establishment stuff, and and I, I think, things are being exposed that need to be exposed. You know, as a result of, him being in there, and so that you know that's a good thing. We're learning more things. I mean, this Biden stuff's getting exposed. Um, a lot of the global, uh, globalist agendas getting exposed and highlighted. So. You know, I think it's good. Let Trump keep making an absolute mess. The more these guys scream, the more they expose themselves or tell on themselves. So all in all, I think it's positive. Trump's not the savior. Um, if you think he's a messiah, you you know, you're, you got your view out of whack anyway. He's just a guy. He's trying to do the best he can. Um, I believe he loves America. Do I think he has all the information and tools? No, I don't. Do I think his heart is toward America? Yes, I do. Um so that's that. That's my opinion. Um maybe I'm right, maybe I'm wrong, but that's where I am am right now. So I want to um look at a couple of things I ran across as I was just uh researching um and j- just some things that that are you know with with this marxist brainwashing and the education system being taken over is why i've said many times i don't i really would avoid public education i'd avoid um I, i wouldn't put my kids in public school at the elementary high school level and i don't really encourage anybody going to into the public education system at the college level unless you know you're grounded and your whole purpose is to get in there and be opposition uh, but if you send your kids who aren't prepared, they're, they're being programmed to hate America. They're being programmed to tear it up, destroy it, overturn the capitalist system, overturn the constitutional republic. Uh, and, and it is a, I mean, high powered propaganda system that is really creating soldiers to tear down this nation Then let me give you let me give you an example i came across um, this article i was perusing the blaze and here's this article from the blaze outrage ensues when four white students win mlk junior day essay contest at the university of montana okay so We have an essay contest for MLK Junior Day, which was in January, not too long ago. And uh, four white students won the essay contest and uh, the Marxist leftist brainwashed students, many of them white, in fact, most of them white themselves, were upset that white students Won this essay? Okay. Here, here's one of the, um, here's one of the, one of the quotes. Uh, bleep, bleep, not reading that. This is a shameful, this is shameful and embarrassing. And I say that as a pasty white girl. She says, "I'm cringing for you because clearly none of you who ran this contest were raised with the good grace to do the cringing yourself. You should be ashamed of yourself." Okay. Now, was racism involved in the students winning the contest? No, it was not. The reality is no black students even entered the contest. So these judges are being accused of racism, and this is some uh, shameful racist event because white students won the essay contest. The fact of the matter is the white students were the only ones entered the contest. Now at University of Montana, they have very few black students because Montana has very few black residents. Okay. But the, even the entry, much less the winners, um, statistically matched the demographics of the university. Okay. But this, this is an example of the brainwashing, right? The result of the brainwashing, the kind of thinking that is coming out of our education system, right? So to, to right, MLK, so, you know, it's, it's celebrating, appreciating, honoring, and I assume, you know, it's historical, some historical essay and, you know, just bragging on the man's achievements or uh, his views in the area of equality, right? So, apparently if you're white, you can't have, like you can't write about history, you can't appreciate somebody, you can only appreciate somebody who's, who's also white, right? The same, same skin color. And I don't know if any of the students read the essays. Uh, it may be all that they know is the fact that the winners were white. Now, again, the, the students, most of the students that were upset were, were white students, right? You have this, not only the racism that the Marxists are engendering in the minds of our students, but this sort of self-hatred. You, you, I run into this a lot. Uh, in fact, one of the professors in a class that, that I was taking in college, so she was an uh, older white lady, kind of hippie, older hippie white lady and she was constantly uh denigrating herself for being white like she was denigrating herself for the color of her skin which is i don't know i don't even know how you classify that right because is that bigotry i mean she's she's literally being bigoted right the bigotry is is based on skin color so I guess she's being bigoted toward herself. I mean, that's so that's the, you know, the kind of mental uh, brain disease that is being created with this line of, of thinking. Now, it's interesting when you uh, when you look at actually the uh, a black students uh, response to this. Right. The black student's response says, having grown up in uh, white spaces. OK, first off, what does that even mean? White, white spaces, having grown up in white spaces, right? See, that's how people think, like everything is somehow categorized by color or I mean, what they would call race It was really not a race. Like black is not a race. White is not a race. But anyway categorized by skin color. So some place is a black place. Some place is a white place. Um, And so I'm not entirely sure exactly what, what that means. So white owned and white operated maybe. Anyway, it's hard to sort of comprehend this thought process. But she says, I often avoided events such as this, because I knew the purpose was a performative gesture from the administration, rather than sell out, compromise myself, I would avoid the problem. So really, it's actually, you know, the same, the same sort of thought process. So like, I'm black, that's white. And it's, and, and it's the self segregation. I'm not going to be I'm not going to be involved in this because it's white. And I'm not going to, what did she say? Sell out or compromise myself. Right? There's no thought. And by the way, this is the thing I talk to with friends a lot of times. Um, Some of you guys, you know, some of you guys got to hear um, my friend Joe from PBM. And we had this conversation about, you know, we need solutionaries not revolutionaries okay so this is that mentality I right, just just that anger they I, I ain't gonna do that I'm not gonna compromise I'm gonna be a sellout okay if you have something to contribute right then wouldn't you want to be involved in the process if you believe if you believe there's a problem with the environment a problem with the with the process and what's going on then wouldn't it be better actually to participate and then contribute and make a cogent argument for your side. So really is, this is more of what we see today, which is the plan of division, right? So there's no, there's no sense of let's get together. Let's talk about this. Let's have a conversation. No, it's create the tribes, create the groups, draw the lines, everybody get on their side and get ready to go to war. Right? So that that's the mentality. And this is really playing out. Um, According to the plan, this is this is the reaction that they want so that I mean, you, you, you look at this where uh, as you see the comments. That you can't even, you know, you, you're not even allowed, Like you're not allowed to talk about this, you're not allowed to be in this space and this place, or you even have to self censor. Right. If you think about the white students that are upset about white students writing the essays, okay, the ones that are upset probably, you know, let, let, well, let's just assume they have capability of, of writing an the essay themselves, but they actually self, um, self segregated because they said they basically said to themselves, well, white people can't write about black people. So, you know, again, so it all it all goes to division right that's the whole the whole drive there draw the lines make the sides make the tribes get ready get ready for war right so that's the thing and it's no longer as dr king you know says about judging by the content of your character and not by the color of your skin that sort of thing and obviously you know i mean we want to do historical uh Research about Dr. King and look at some of the things he said. I mean, everybody, you you know, you can find stuff that like I'm not. I don't agree with that, but in this context of equality, I mean, what's bad? What's bad about what's bad about his ideas? And you notice the modern, the modern, whatever you want to call this movement, the modern movement that hides behind, uh, you know, equality for black society, they, 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 they actually reject Dr. King's ideas. I see this on Twitter and social media all the time. If you, if you put forth some notion of, of, of a colorblind society, like that's no, no, you, you can't, you can't, that's not even legitimate anymore. So the, the whole idea, not judging by the color of your skin, as we hear um, Dr. King say in that speech in D.C. That's not acceptable in this group anymore. You can't even you can't even say that. You're you're a sellout, right? So, you trust me. You put some go put on go on Twitter right now and post something around some of these leftists about not seeing uh, skin color and colorblind. You you will be attacked. So. Right. And, and as I said, the opposite of that was being solutionary. Right. So engaging in the process. It doesn't we, we're not helping things. If we get on our side, they get on their side and we're just, you know, yelling at each other and yelling about each other. But again, this is this is the design. This is um, this is the whole plan. All right. So this falls right in line with. What's known as the Sixteen Nineteen Project. And I don't know how many of you have heard this. This is another reason why my kids won't be in public school. And this is what you'll be combating. This is what our kids are being subjected to um, in the colleges. I mean, this is already in the college. It's absolutely anchored there. But this new this new mindset from Sixteen Nineteen Project, this new theory and uh, view of history, is being pushed to to be part of our K-12 through 12 curriculum in class. So here's a great article on uh, some of the issues here from the American Institute for Economic uh, Research. This is Philip Magnus writing this article, and he's an economic historian. And in this article, he deals with several, uh, well, he talks about a handful of historians who critiqued um, who critiqued the 1619 project, some of the 1619 project's content, and I can tell you right off the bat, you know, here, here's here's what the 1619 project is. It they're Marxist, okay? It's a bunch of Marxists that are also you know basically black nationalists. So it's Marxist black nationalists who are pushing this hate America, hate white people agenda that, and, um, it's being, I guess, portrayed as history. All right. And you will find this stuff popping up everywhere. It's a New York Times, um, a New York Times project. So all the New York Times editors and, uh, New York Times affiliates, deal with this. So here's an article that Philip Magnus uh, writes, and I think he recently discussed this on the Tom Wood Show. They talked about um, this article and the topic in in general. And so um, 1619 Project, and some of it's tied with this assault on capitalism. Again, it's Marxist, and this assault on capitalism. And so this is really what it is. is a is a a way that uh, a new strategy, maybe not new strategy, but a more sort of pointed strategy uh, and tool in the tool bag for the Marxists to reach out to the black community and make them anti capitalist, make them support. Um, Marxist economic theory, and make them reject capitalism. And the way that they have discovered to do that is essentially um, to basically blame—I don't want to say blame capitalism for slavery, but um, but to claim and teach that capitalism was built from slavery. Capitalism and the, the success of capitalism in the united states owes its uh, success the prosperity we owe uh, directly to slavery therefore capitalism is evil right it, it it really gets at this visceral visceral you know painful uh, emotive topic in the black community and so, if it, you know, if I can, if I can pick at the wounds of slavery, it's almost like a, a sort of Pavlovian, you know, uh, B.F. Skinner operant conditioning kind of going on. So I, I basically associate um, capitalism with slavery through this this pain. Um, I, f- I forget one of, I think it was, I can't remember if it was Watson or whoever it was, but one of the behaviorists in psychology. Uh, there was this kid, Little, what was his name? Little John, I think. And one of the sort of infamous experiments was where they um, would play this loud noise, this loud, scary noise um, on this this little infant, maybe, I don't know, one, two, three-year-old, somewhere between one and three-year-old little boy. And so it was, I don't know, a feather and a doll. And something else so like three different stimuli and they would you know okay here you go little kid here's here's a bowl of cereal oh thank you ah! you know and then freak the kid out with this loud noise and so then it basically trained the child programmed the child to hate that thing because it it you know it became associated with that uh, aversive stimulus that painful emotion of the loud noise and so that's that's this Technique that they're using, and by the way, the guy um, Matthew Desmond, who writes this article about capitalism, and you know, to trace the evils of cap- you, you know, you want to know about capitalism, uh, you you have to uh, trace it to the plantation. So Matthew Desmond writes this article, and it, and it totally just full of errors and total garbage. But that's that's that the technique, right? That's what's being used in the 1619 Project and, and the coordinated the coordinated effort um, between these people. And again, Desmond is a sociologist, right? So he's, he's employing these, these psychology, sociology techniques of this operant condition associating capitalism with slavery, right? So capitalism has that pain. It's like that loud noise. So, or excuse me, slavery is like that loud noise. So, you pick the scab of, of, of slavery and black community feels that pain, has that reaction, and then boom, you associate that with capitalism. So, voila, the entire community hates capitalism. So, that's, that's the technique, guys. That's what they're doing. That's what this is all about. And so, um, I think about five different historians go and go at some of the issues with the 1619 uh, project. And he goes through a few of the questions. Number one was, was, um, was the American Revolution fought in defense of slavery? So the ideas is, is that they put forth in the 1619 project was um, Great Britain was about to get rid of slavery in the colonies and that's why America fought the Revolution to stop Great Britain from freeing the slaves, emancipating the slaves, and abolishing uh, slavery. Which you can go read the article. I mean, my goodness, just total uh, garbage. You look at, you know, you look at some of the things that he mentions in here about, uh, you know, how long it took. Great Britain to abolish slavery and emancipate slaves with, within its own uh, kingdom after the American Revolution or American Restoration, of 1776. Um, it was 1833 before they abolished it in their own land. So I, how is it that they were suddenly that suddenly going to happen in the United States? And then um, you know it mentions some of the charters that. Uh, basically took measures, made, made part of their constitution, measures to emancipate uh, slaves Pennsylvania 1780, New Hampshire 1783, Connecticut 1784, Rhode Island 1784, New York 1799, uh, and then of course the Northwest Ordinance in America uh, in 1787, ensuring that Ohio, Michigan, Illinois, Wisconsin, Indiana were free, free states. Uh, even entering the union, so you know a uh, lot of lot of lot of garbage there. Now, one interesting thing here's another question that they deal with: 1619 project. Um, was Abraham Lincoln a racial colonizationist or an exaggerated egalitarian? Basically, what what that's saying is, um, was Lincoln truly? Anti-slave, and you know, for integration of the freed slaves into uh, into America, and you know, here's the thing about Lincoln, and and by the way, um, what's his name? Uh, the author here, Philip Magnus, it actually has done some original research in in finding uh, in finding documents you know, basically uh, historical documents that were not really, that were basically hidden away at this point. He went in the Caribbean, went to, to um, Great Britain, and lots of records on Lincoln. And, and here's the bottom line with Lincoln. This is, this is what we know, and this is what the picture of the evidence shows. Um, yes, Lincoln believed, um, so in general, Lincoln believed slavery should end. Now we know in the initial debates in trying to, you know, get, win the election, um, he says it's not his intent to abolish slavery, right? So initially he had, he had no, or at least he promised um, that he had no intention of ending slavery. That's what he was saying on the campaign trail. So, but overall, we, we find Lincoln personally felt like slavery should end. However, he did not believe in the equality of the races, so he said. He, he said several times and throughout, and you know, even later, that uh, he did not believe that African Africans should, you know, have the same station in society, and he believed that the Africans should should leave uh, leave the U.S. right after freeing the slaves. So he didn't. He didn't have this view of. You know let's free the slaves and have them integrate in society and give equal rights to everybody that's actually not what the evidence supports um but he even after well after the emancipation proclamation he was still trying um to recolonize the slaves uh, into other areas both in africa uh, and in the caribbean and the which is essentially what the 1619 project says so in this part they get it right but I want to say what's evident in their um, motivation, because I'm starting to see this a lot in in the Twitter and you know social media that's that's lining up with this new realization about the historical record of Lincoln is basically this idea of we can't have a white hero. So there's actually now a move within within this. Within this realm, again, because of the division and the hatred, it's not it's, for 1619 project. It's not about histori- having a historically accurate view of Lincoln. It's a it's about we can't have a white hero. So now now, e- just like you see a lot of the liberals, right, end up being victims of, of their own insanity of some of the white liberals now are victims of this nonsense. Now, Lincoln, who used to be the hero of, of, of these folks, of the black nationalists or whatever you want to call them, now he is even falling victim uh, to this new ideology. And of course, you know, the, the historians, you have the, the um, Republican historians that want to defend Lincoln to the death, and their idea is. That Lincoln evolved, right? Their their theory Lincoln evolved over time, and you know he didn't have these views. With uh, he talked to Frederick Douglass, and somehow became a better person, and he wanted equal rights for everybody. And uh, you know these records that they're finding don't bear that out. That he was still trying to recolonize uh, Af- freed uh, slaves well after emancipation proclamation And that, that doesn't even this, this is just speaking on you know that kind of racial issue It doesn't even get into all the constitutional problems that Lincoln had and his, his tyrannical um, tyrannical actions on that front. That's another another story. Uh, one of the other things, did slavery drive? yeah, this is crazy. This, this comes from the Matthew Desmond guy in this whole um, new, what they call new history of slavery and new history of capitalism. And so did slavery drive America's economic growth and the emergence of American capitalism? So this is that idea. And there's a guy at, uh, I think he's at Princeton or Stanford, I I forget the university, but his name is Ed Baptist, one of these historians, Ed Baptist, and he, he wrote this book called The Half Has Never Been Told, where he came up with this fake statistic, there, the the statistic that he um, that he created right out of whole cloth, and asserted that uh, cotton, the cotton industry in the South, because of slavery, was fifty percent of the GDP of the United States, which is completely preposterous. Uh, if you actually, as as uh, Philip uh, Doctor. Um, and I keep messing the guy's name up. As Dr. Magnus uh, points out, if you run the number legitimately, you get about 5% GDP from cotton. Then you add in tobacco and uh, sugar and those sorts of things, it maybe gets up to 15%. But, it's, but this fake statistic is repeated over and over, all over the place for the idea that uh, that it is the core driver of the capitalist system that you know slavery was the economic dynamo of capitalism in the United States now slave the slave labor has been part of the economic system since the dawn of man there's no question about that and and so i don't think anybody would argue no one's trying to argue that You know slave labor was you know no big deal and it's not evil and that sort of thing yeah it was part of the economic system but this idea that capitalism owes its life to the system of slavery um, is utter is an utter falsehood i mean it's utter deception and um clearly not not supported by by the facts i mean you think about the railroad oil i mean steel, so, so many things. I mean, it, it, it's utterly, utterly preposterous. So this is this is all crafted uh, for a purpose. Okay. Uh, let's see. Look at one other. I think there's another one on here. Um, okay. It's just the last one that deals with 1619 project. Seek adequate scholarly guidance in preparing its work. No, obviously not. Uh, particularly when it's talking about the revolutionary, revolutionary th- up to the Civil War, that whole era, uh, there, it's just all crafted to fit their narrative. But this ties in, guys. Why? Why I wanted to point this out today. Um, this ties in. It, it's it's not about history. It's not about Black history. It's about Marxism. The the whole point is the assault on capitalism, and it's in its only put in the context of slavery and black history so that you can target the black community with this programming. again, the, the aversive stimulus of slavery coupled with, with capitalism so that you build that association. Slavery is evil, therefore capitalism, capitalism is evil since it owes its uh, life to slavery. So completely false narrative, and that's what's coming out of the 1619 Project. That is the intent of the project. And it's not to say you know you look at some of the things and you can find accurate information on it, but the but the overall drive that's that's the purpose of it. It's a Marxist assault on capitalism. It has nothing to do uh, with teaching people proper history. So, you know, it's it's right in line with people like Bernie Sanders and Ocasio, Cortez of, you know, we have to tear down capitalism and independence and self-sufficiency because we have to replace it with government dependency so that the government can dominate people. Look, people, you know, the Marxist ideology has to pe- put people on the need side, not the resource side, right? It has to put people in, in, on the dependent side rather than the production side. Because that's the only way you can control them. That's that's how people are controlled. If you're dependent on somebody, uh, you know, to make things happen for you, to support you, to, to help you survive, to help you succeed, you know, it's all about somebody giving you a handout. If you're dependent. Then then you're not gonna you know you're not gonna bite the hand that feeds you. You're not gonna buck the system uh, that you depend on. That's what it's all about. So. So check out, you guys may have seen this, uh, this illustrates what I'm talking about. And, and here's part of the motivation of this, of targeting the black community, is because they know they're losing the black community. That's what this is all about. So this whole 1619 project is a reaction to people in the black community leaving the plantation. 1619 Project is basically the slave master with his whip sending the foreman out to round up the the slaves and get them back to the plantation because they're leaving and people are scared to death. And here, I'll give you an example of that right here. If you haven't seen this, listen. And this is Ocasio-Cortez nonsense about nobody can pull themselves up by their bootstraps.
1: impossible the whole thing is a joke miss hutchinson i also want to thank you about bringing up the poverty draft and this idea of a bootstrap you know this idea and this metaphor of a bootstrap started off as a joke because it's a physical impossibility to lift yourself by a bootstrap by your shoelaces it's physically impossible the whole thing is a joke My name is Rob Smith. I'm a U.S. Army veteran and a proud black conservative. I grew up in the working class community of Akron, Ohio, and was raised by a single mother who was, yes, on government assistance for a a small point in time when I was very young after my mother and father divorced. Although we didn't have much money or access to a whole lot of resources, she worked very hard to provide for her children. Like many who grew up in Akron, Ohio, I attended some of the lowest performing and underfunded schools in the neighborhood. Disaffected teachers would routinely come to class unprepared, and my counselors had little idea of what to do a student with a student who quite obviously didn't have an athletic scholarship ready and available for him upon graduation. What we did have in our poor working class neighborhood, however, was a strong sense of community and an undying belief in self. <clears throat> The figureheads, parents, and activists of my day always spoke positively of a brighter future, one where they'd have successfully passed on the torch of leadership and hope of opportunity to us so that we could pave the way for additional successes just like our forefathers and mothers had done for us. That undying belief in the ability for us as human beings, each of us all endowed with great gifts to continuously improve and better our circumstances in the world around us, is what drove me to better myself and to serve my country. I graduated from high school near the top of my class and decided to serve my country as an infantryman in the United States Army, including a deployment to both Kuwait and Iraq. I credit the time that I spent in the Army with building the unshakable belief that I have in myself that I am not a victim that there is nothing that I cannot achieve, and that I am in the best place I could possibly be in to do this, which is the United States of America. I joined the military because I love my country and because it offered a working-class kid like me the opportunity to see the world far beyond the confines of Akron, Ohio. It offered me the American dream. Today, I'm a political analyst who has provided commentary on several major news networks, including CNN and Fox News. I have met the last two presidents of the United States. I have met ambassadors, congressmen and women, and senators. I advocate for veterans' rights. I protested for the repeal of the Don't Ask, Don't Tell law that barred service for military members who are openly lesbian, gay, or bisexual. I am the first person in the history of my family to receive my bachelor's degree from Syracuse University and also my master's degree from Columbia University. I'm now a contributor to several reputable online resources and will publish my memoir in May. I'm living a life far beyond what my high school education and upbringing would have suggested, and I wouldn't have been able to accomplish any of these things had my mentality and beliefs about self been any different. If I had succumbed to the soft bigotry of low expectations or to any of the rhetoric from elected officials who wish to substitute the role that strong individuals and communities play in supporting each other with that of an all-powerful, unaccountable, and bloated government, where would I be today? Granted, it wasn't until I started to reject the messages that seek to take control and responsibility out of the hands of the individual and put that into the government— that I saw my greatest personal and career successes. Just a few decades ago, such an existence would have been infeasible in the communities where I come from. No one wants their lives dictated by the government. It is the exact antithesis of the values that have and continue to make our country great. Yes, I have family members who remain on government assistance. I have seen firsthand how the government can easily take on the role of father in the household and the destruction and dysfunction that that can cause. After a long and steady drumbeat by this latest flock of so-called progressives, people have unfortunately come to believe that more government may actually be a solution to their problems. A casual glance at the economy under President Trump suggests otherwise, since his first days in office, the President has worked to unlock the economy by removing regulatory burdens from small business owners and entrepreneurs so that they can continue to innovate in the diverse communities where they live, work, and play. I have seen black small business owners that I myself patronize thrive in this economy. Objectively, we can see the results. We can see poverty on the decline, the black unemployment rate at the lowest it's been in recorded history, and the stock market has experienced an unprecedented rally that's undoubtedly been good for the retirements of of working-class American families. The proof is right in front of us for all to see. Even those who advocate for socialism continue to reap the benefits of the greatest economy this generation has seen. Thank you, Mr. Smith. Thank you.
0: My bad. Sorry about that. Lost the sound. Um, But what I was saying is that's the reason for the 1619 Project. Guys like Mr. Smith, they want to get him back on the plantation. But there are more and more uh, people in the black community who are sounding off just like that. And so we just have to keep doing what we're doing keep pushing the message of liberty and um, you know that that's how we fight fight against this and get get their information out and um, you know I think we we can combat this error there you know they, I don't think they can get away with this like they used to be able to so I think that's awesome just want to give you that as an example, and then what he was talking about, you know, the fact that, like you said, pull yourself up by your bootstrap. He, he, he's talking about he took the opportunities that were around him. He he put forth effort. He put forth labor. Uh, he dedicated himself. That's what pulling yourself up by your bootstraps means. It means you put forth effort. You you do what you have to do to succeed. You're not standing around waiting on a handout. Um, And and expect the government to take over everything and provide everything. Um, So, you know, that's the message. That's the message that they hate. That's why 1619 Project is out there. And I say that's why 1619 Project is going to fail. First off, because it's easily demonstrated that it's a bunch of lies. And you got too many voices out there like this. And the people aren't buying it like they used to. So keep going, New York Times. Knock yourself out. But you're gonna fail. Just all there is to it. But that, that's it, man. The handout, the handout economy. I'll leave you. I'll leave you with this final example. This is the world, this is the world that they want, that they want. We'll show you this before we go. This is crazy. Uh, let's see if I can find, uh, where do I have it now? Store caves to Twitter mob outraged at sign asking covers customers to report tampon themes. Mobs Ads stealing tampons is okay since tampons ought to be free. And that's it. There are basic basic necessity, which that may be true. Uh, and so the mentality is that the government should provide all of your basic necessities they ought to be free now this is in the UK but same mentality that we have here so that's the kind of folks you're dealing with that that is ultimately what they want and the government to provide everything that way the government can control everyone and the and the progressives can finally get their dream and that is to that is the elimination of anyone who has an opinion different from theirs on our side we want right we want to argue the point we want to present the information we want to prove the truth marxists want to take control of government to rule by force to make you go away so that they don't have to be opposed. That's that's the entire point of government handouts. It's not about stuff. It's not about money. It's about control. If the government can make everyone dependent on them, then the government can control everyone. That's the point. And unfortunately, what a lot of these useful idiots don't understand who buy into it they don't study Soviet history. There's always an elite group at the top that enjoy the benefits. And then all the useful idiots like the Bernie Sanders crowd, all the, all the Bernie Sanders voters, they're going to be ones standing in the soup line. Which, by the way, Bernie celebrates. Like Bernie loves, you can go look this up, Bernie loves soup lines. Bernie is quoted as bragging on people standing behind dump trucks waiting for bones in the Soviet Union. He he says he says that's good because in capitalist country you don't even have lines. People are just starving and dying in the streets of starvation. That's Bernie. And so these guys following him, they don't understand. They're going to they'll be in the line behind the dump truck looking for soup bones. They're not going to be the ones in the dacha. Bernie's going to have the dacha, Bernie's going to be eating caviar, Bernie's going to be drinking uh, you know, the um, Russian vodka. And they think they're going to enjoy everything the billionaire has that's stolen from the billionaires. You're not. You're not. Go study your Soviet history. That's not how it works. That's not how it works. And then when you finally wake up, once you've gotten tired of standing in line for soup bones, and you actually look around and say, this is really not that good anymore. I don't actually like this. That's when the state police show up at midnight, and you disappear to the gulag, never to be heard from again. That's your destiny, promoting this Marxist claptrap. You're not gonna be the one on top. Oh, and oh, by the way, the ones on top, They, yeah, they have a little time at the dacha eating their caviar until one of their competition drops the poison in their caviar and offs them in the middle of the night. That's what you're fighting for. So that's what it's about. It's about control. And for 1619 Projects, particularly about control of the black community because they've lost control. You can sum up 1619's message very simply. It's this. Get back on the plantation, slave. That's their message. Not history. Not equality. Not empowerment. But victim mentality. Know your place. Get back on the plantation. Stop rocking the boat. So, they're going to fail anyway. They're going to fail big time. It's going to be the biggest, biggest failure Biggest failure you've ever seen. Biggest failure. Credible, massive failure. Going to fail so big you won't believe it. 1619 Project. Going to go down in flames. Big time. Trust me. All right, guys. That's it. Appreciate you being here. Appreciate you showing up. Uh, Thanks for letting me sit in. Hope to see you soon. Chris Ann should be back. We'll be uh, we'll be back on here Monday, unless you know unless we kind of show up unannounced and do something special or whatever. Otherwise, see you Monday. Have a great weekend. God bless you guys.